0: And today's scripture reading is Acts 5, 17, oh, sorry, 27 to 33. Right? Yeah. Okay. Um, so, here we go. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God.
1: Thanks, brother. At this time, can we pray for all the children that are around us? Um, Let me just pray for them as they go off to their own worship space. Lord, we thank you for wonderful... So as a church community, we have been walking through the book of Acts. Uh, we've, we've done about five messages. We've got three more to go. And we're going to come back to this every year for the next three years to go through the whole book of Acts. And, and today, uh, we're going to be in chapter 5, as it was read by our brother Daniel. Uh, really, book of Acts is a book that speaks of the beginning of the church. The beginning of what we know as a church and how God... Use ordinary men like you and I to be able to build his church through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts 5, uh, we, we touch on the subject called courage. Everyone say courage. Look at each other and say courage. You know, courage is defined, this is Webster Dictionary, as mental or moral strength to venture, to persevere, to withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. How appropriate after the year and a half of COVID, we're talking about courage. Courage, simply put, is doing the right thing in the face of opposition. Whether that's helping someone who is in danger. You grew up, you know, in a school and you saw a friend being bullied and you stood up to that bully, right? Or speaking up for the rights of someone who isn't being heard. And when we think of people of great courage, we think of men like Martin Luther King Jr. We think about someone like Nelson Mandela, right? Men who chose to speak out against injustice at great personal risk. And we all want courage. If, if, if you ask me, if you really think about it, we all want courage. That's why we love these movies, right? These stories of superheroes, Stories of men and women who fought against establishment, who fought against injustice. We love these stories because deep down inside, whether we would like to admit it or not, we want courage. And we need courage over a year and a half under COVID. We, just to get out of our house, just to come to service, we need courage. And, and, and we've learned that we need courage to navigate the challenges of life. And we greatly admire and respect those who have shown to be courageous. You think about people you respect the most in your life. You think about someone you would say, that's my mentor. That's someone I look up to. And one of the common traits they have is they are people of courage. So the early church, chapters 4 and 7, and the history tells us the early church since its birth experienced not only this explosive growth that we've been seeing, but heavy persecution from day one in fact about 100 years of first 300 years of existence of church christianity was deemed illegal by law and those who dared to join the movement had to do it at their own risk this meant joining jesus's movement movement was a serious decision was a serious matter and it came with a great cost some lost their jobs, some lost members of their family, some lost their means, their ways of, of living. some lost their own lives. So it would be understatement to say you needed courage to be part of this new movement called this new movement that started in this small sect. In Acts four to seven, Luke, who's the author of this book, tells us. Or it gives us a window to the type of persecution and opposition that the church faced from the very beginning, right? And really what what Luke wants to show us is that behind every attack, there is an adversary named Satan, right? Scheming, plotting, doing everything he can to try to put an end to this movement, this growing movement. And in chapters 4 to 7, we see three major attacks, three major schemes or playbook that is being played out by Satan himself. Physical violence against God's people, creating disunity from within, and, and this idea of busyness. The apostles were busy with so much to do. Physical violence, right? Church history tells us many early followers of Jesus were lit on fire, put on the cross and even stoned to death for their faith. Right? When violence did not slow down the movement, what did Satan use? Satan attempted to destroy the movement from inside. Right? Beginning of chapter 5, Luke tells us right, the story of death of a husband and a wife. A guy named Ananias in Sapphira who was tempted by Satan to lie about the amount of their gift. Right? And when that didn't work, he overwhelmed the apostles with endless demands. We're going to be reading about that in coming chapters. These apostles, as the church was growing, as people's needs were being, being, being shown, they quickly became overwhelmed with many tasks, which took them away from their primary role of praying and preaching. And that's why we're introduced to the seven new deacons, our first seven deacons in the book of Acts. 2,000 some years later, Satan still does not want his church or God's church to advance, right? Satan's strategy and schemes are not very different from actually early days of the church. Today, same schemes and strategies are being deployed. So friends, one thing that we need to glean from this passage is we need to pray for all churches. We need to pray for our church, right? We need to pray for one another. We need to pray for this leadership. Pray against the different ways that Satan wants to kill and steal and destroy. We've experienced a lot of disunity in our church last year. we've experienced even now, this mall is closing, and there's a lot that's happening. And we can't simply say, oh, "Well, that's just things happen. No. Satan does not want this church to flourish. So we need to pray. And again, we need courage in this season of being attacked. But let's look closely to the apostles' response that was was read by our brother Daniel to the threat, right? We see a threat in our passage. Perhaps by the most powerful Jewish man in all of Jerusalem stands before Jesus' disciples in verses 29 to 32 and warns them, stop preaching with that man's name. Stop preaching about that man. And we hear Peter and the apostles confidently answering "Well, we must obey God and not men but here's the context of the story because we didn't read the whole chapter but let me give you the context uh, remember by this time church th- this movement has grown tremendously right that first Pentecost morning Luke tells us 3,000 men probably more women and children came to join the movement In chapter 3, we talked about this last week, Peter and John were in the temple. They healed this man who was paralyzed for 40 plus years. And and Peter preaches and 5,000 more men, probably more women and children, came to faith. So by this time we land in chapter 5, the early church was not a church of 30 people or 50 people. It was probably a church of 1,000, 5,000, perhaps even 10,000. Remember, the city of Jerusalem was not a mega city like so. It was a small city. And guess where all these new converts were hanging out, doing ministry in? It was in the temple, right? These new converts came to the temple to pray every day, to worship, to to teach, to learn. So day after day, the temple of Jerusalem was filled with these new believers. So, So now... Seeing all these new converts doing, hanging out, sharing, praying, healing being done. All these men in power, all these religious leaders, especially the high priest, became utterly insecure about their position. So watching all of these things unfold had made those who are in charge in the temple extremely not only wary but jealous. Verse 17, Luke tells us in our passage, chapter 5, that these religious leaders became extremely envious of all the wonderful things that the early church was experiencing. Remember, they were the ones they were in charge before. They were the ones they were teaching, they were being respected, they were being sought out, but now it's no longer these established religious leaders but it's these fishermen unlearned men who did not go to the school who did not have the education now they're the ones that are only teaching but they're healing and many are coming to know jesus so out of their jealousy the high priest and his men out of their fear and insecurity they take peter and the rest of the apostles and lock them away in their public prison in verse 19 during the night an angel comes to peter and the apostles and he unlocks the prison doors and what does the angel tell them as they're as they're releasing these men run and do not come back go out of the city and build a church outside no Angel says in verse 20, if you follow with me, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. What they're saying is, well, you just, you just got in prison. I'm going to release you. And what you're going to do, is you're not going to go home. You're not going to run away. You're going to go to the temple. You're going to keep preaching. The words of this life. Those are the words that the angel uses to describe the gospel. Right? I love that description of the gospel. The gospel is about what? About life. Everyone say life. It is about how you and I can overcome death and truly begin to live. In, gospel, in, in John's gospel, Jesus reveals his purpose for his arrival. And he, he told the crowd, I came so that you can be judged? No. He said, I came so that you can experience life, life to the fullest. So friends, at the heart of Christianity, is not about set of rules. It's not about restricting your life. It is really about freeing you so that you can truly begin to live. Do you believe that? Do Do you feel like you came today to experience life? Or do you feel like, ah, I came here because I feel guilty and I need to worship. Maybe, maybe some of you guys are here. But really, I want to encourage you once again. Christianity is about life. It's about life. So now Peter and the apostles having been released from prison, they do exactly what they have been told by these angels. They go back to the temple and they begin to preach again. So when these religious leaders find out these men are back in the, in the temple teaching and preaching, they go, they go get them, right? But they can't arrest them because they're afraid of the crowd. The crowd is listening. People are being healed, right? There's this movement, revival, so they quietly calls them in for, for a quiet meeting. And as Peter and the apostles stand before the high priest, the high priest sternly warns them to do what? What's really the offense? Is it because these men are helping other people? Is it because these men are healing the sick? No, really, when you look at verse 28, the offense, the the, the reason why these leaders and religious leaders are so offended, we we get in verse 28, right? Verse 28 tells us where the true offense lies. Verse 28, we strictly told you not to teach in his name. It's the name of Jesus that is offensive, right? In fact, they can't even, if you you read through their dialogue, they can't even bring themselves to mention his name. Jesus' name is not mentioned by these religious leaders. Like, don't, don't teach in his name. Don't teach in that name, right? We told you, whatever you do, just stop mentioning that man's name. Remember, it was these very religious leaders, the high priest and his men, who plotted and murdered Jesus in hopes that once the leader dies, the movement will end. Yet what happened is the death and the resurrection of Jesus has fueled this movement forward and its explosive growth. And tens and thousands of people have come to join this movement. So verse 29, Peter and the rest of the guys respond to the threat of the high priest with these words of great courage. We're talking about courage this morning, saying we must obey God rather than men. Basically, what Peter is saying, and Peter and the apostles are saying is, you can threaten us all you want, but we're not going to listen to you. We're going to listen to God. And verse 30, then Peter has the audacity to begin to preach to these men. Preach these religious leaders. And by now, we've heard Peter's sermons. This is the third sermon. Really, Peter has one sermon. He's a one-sermon guy. He's a one-sermon guy. One Same message. It's what? You've killed Jesus, but Jesus died for you so that you can repent and be baptized and be set free. Verse 30, 31 is Peter. For the third time, we, we know his sermon. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior. Verse 31, you might want to circle that word leader. We'll we'll get to that. Leader and savior, very unique word leader. To give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So, Peter says in verse 31, this is why we are so confident, right? Jesus is our leader and our savior. The word in verse 31, leader, is archigos. Archigos is the Greek word, and it is only used three other times in all of New Testament, right? The word that's translated as leader in our passage. One other time by Luke, and two other times in the book of Hebrews it is a very complex word for us to be able to translate into the English language. But it is a key to understanding the courage that Peter and the rest of the apostles are displaying in our passage. Right? Archigos literally means chief leader or an author. Head leader, author. Right? Leader and the author of our courage. What Peter is saying is I can stand up against even the most powerful Jewish man in this city... Because Jesus is our courage. But to say it more pointedly, Jesus is my source, our source of courage. This means you can be the most naturally confident person in this room, yet your confidence or bravery is not what saves us in the end. Remember, Peter, this is, we're talking about Peter. Peter was a man of great courage. I mean, Peter was the first one always to raise his hand, first one to volunteer. Peter stood by Jesus' side, right? When Jesus was being arrested in the Garden of Olives, and what did Peter do? He took out a sword. Right? He was a man of natural courage. Yet when Jesus was arrested, and his own life was being threatened and accused, What did he do? He cursed Jesus like Jesus said he would. And it's only having seen the risen Jesus, having received the promised spirit in our passage, Peter now is able to stand up against perhaps the most powerful Jewish leader, the high priest, and tells him to his face, do whatever you want with me, but I will not stop preaching about this man, Jesus, our leader, And our Savior. Perhaps this morning you've come to church feeling discouraged. Feeling weary. Perhaps God has called you to something. Perhaps into the city you obeyed and it has not been easy. Perhaps this season under COVID probably has not been easy for any of us. Perhaps you feel utterly unprepared for what you feel like God is calling you to do in this next season. Can I be honest? I feel utterly unprepared for this move as a church. Like As, as much as I want to I pretend like we got figure it figured out, no, I want to tell you right now, when I was told that we have to move from the small, I was like, Lord, come on. That's the last thing I want to deal with. Move again? Or move after all that we've gone through? You feel me? Perhaps... It's your marriage, it's parenting, it's loneliness, it's an addiction to something and you're ready to just give up because no matter how hard you try, you seem to come back to the same old place, same old sin. If that's you this morning, let these words that we find in the book of Hebrews, another Place the word archigos is used, Hebrews 12, verse 2. There are only four four times this word is used, and this is one of them, Hebrews 12:2. Let these words strengthen and, and renew hope. This is Hebrews 12:2. This is the encouragement the author of Hebrews gives to struggling Christians, right? And he says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the Archegos the chief leader and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. You see what the author of Hebrews is saying. He's not saying let us fix our eyes on whatever good is going on in our lives. He does not say let us fix our eyes on whatever we can muster up today. No, he says fix your eyes on Jesus because he is the archegos, the perfecter, of our faith. And who for the joy set before him he endured the cross. What the author of Hebrews is encouraging not only the believers at the time but us this morning is that our confidence and our courage they're not produced from within. You can be the most naturally confident person in this room, but that's not going to be able to get you through life because life will punch you in the face. And there are times where things will happen in your life you don't even know how to get up from it. When those moments arrive in your life, what the author of Hebrews is saying is look to Christ. Because it is only through Christ and what He has accomplished and what His Spirit is continuing to accomplish in each of us we're able to overcome, we're able to move forward, we're able to get up from our beds and move forward with our days. The author of Hebrews, again, doesn't say fix your eyes on on the reward. That that would have been a good encouragement. Here's a reward. That's what I do with my daughters all the time. If you do well, I'm going to give you ice cream. If you do well, I'm going to let you watch TV, right? But that's not what the author of Hebrews says. He doesn't say fix your eyes on your progress. He could have said that. Look, you're doing so much better. Fix your eyes on others that have come before. Because chapter 11, all of chapter 11 is about these amazing men and women of faith. And the author of Hebrews could have said, look at these men, look at Moses, look at Noah. But no, the author of Hebrews, he says, fix it on Jesus. Why? It's because Jesus, he's the only true hero of the story. He's the only true archegos who lived a life that we could not live and died the death in our place. So the gospel is not Christ died for us because we were good or because we were worthy or because we were deserving. He died for us because we were not good, right? That means his love and sacrifice has nothing to do with how successful we are we are, or how successful we may feel, or how how healthy we are, or how healthy we may feel, or how accomplished we are, rather it's about Jesus, about his steadfast love for you and I. This is why every week as we gather here in this place, every every conclusion of every sermon, that is preached here is the gospel, right? It is not the gospel of try harder, do better, be better, right? We end every sermon at the cross of Christ because this is the same reason why every week we end our service by partaking in communion together because these elements that we're about to partake, His body and His blood, reminds us once again that our banner, our victory, our hope is not in us but it's in Christ. So friends, as you start, as we start this new week, as we deal with all that we've been dealing with at our workplace, in our homes, in our relationships, in our move, let's look to Christ for courage. Because really, that's the only place we can find courage that will not disappoint, courage that will not fail. So with this great, with, with this encouragement, um, I want to just encourage you. Uh, let's go into time of prayer. Whatever is in your heart, whatever you've been thinking through this morning, even as I've been preaching, maybe that's all you've been thinking about. I want to encourage you. Let's, let's bring it to Christ and say, Lord, would you give me courage? Would you strengthen me? Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you this morning. We thank you for this reminder a reminder that, that that we get every week here lord and Lord, we, we we come to you because not because we have everything figured out we come to you not because we we feel like we're worthy to be here we come to you not because we feel like we deserve it we come because lord we know we don't we know we don't have it enough we know that we need a true courage and true hope that only comes from you and your spirit So I pray if anyone is weary, if anyone is discouraged, if anyone is afraid and anxious about what the future holds, Spirit, your spirit that's living and active, would you come? And would you remind us once again of the hope and the joy and the strength that we have because of your Son? We love you. We thank you. Just let me pray. Amen.